Thank you for listening to Haunted Texas and Beyond, brought to you by Austin Ghost Tours and RenegadeRadio.net. I'm your host, Janine Plummer. On this Haunted Texas and Beyond podcast, we will be talking to Fiona Dalton, who is a singer and tour guide in Dublin, Ireland. She is currently residing in the countryside one hour outside of Dublin at this time with her family members due to the coronavirus. She is going to tell us a few stories from Dublin. Let's listen. So I want to go back to, so first of all, who are you? Who am I? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, okay, I am Fiona. I am 45 years old. I'm from the east of Dublin in Ireland. I have, my mum died about 13 years ago. So I have three brothers that are younger than me and my dad is still alive. And I just have a brand new nephew that was born three weeks ago that we won't get to see for another couple of months, which is quite hard on my dad. Um, so my, have, two, have you heard of the Riptide Movement, the band? I have not. not what is it? Band from Ireland. I have not. What is the Riptide Movement? So the Riptide Movement is a rock and roll band from Ireland. My brother is in it. They've been going for 15 years and um, he is quite well known in Ireland, but he doesn't like being called a rock star, which is quite ridiculous. <laughs> Um, so my, my middle brother is a drummer and then my older brother doesn't play any instruments. So my mom was a singer in a choir when she was younger. So I presume that's where I get my, my singing voice from her. And when, uh, she came from West Cork, which is South of Ireland. And when I was eight years old, I had to go with her. She would be handed a microphone and I would be handed a microphone after her. So we both would have to go up and sing together or in two separate songs. So that's how I started my singing career is with my mother. Um, I did music in primary school um, when I was four on a Friday afternoon. So my, my teacher taught me how to read and write music. So that has always stuck with me since the age of four. So I've been in music, I suppose, all that time. And I love history. I've all, anytime I go away on holidays, I'm the first one on a tour, I'm on a tour bus. I wanted to, to find out about the history, the people, the culture. And my friend of mine, a couple of years ago, had mentioned that I would be a good tour guide. So that's where the tour guide starts. Um, about 15 years ago, I ran my own gospel choir and I ran it for 10 years. We were the second gospel choir. Actually, no, it's longer. It was 1998 and we were the second gospel choir in Ireland. Um, and that came by by watching Sister Act. Would you believe it? <laughs> I know, it's a bit mad. That's great. That's <laughs> really good. The priest wasn't very happy. Uh, the all the older generation that came to mass didn't like us, obviously. I mean, who are these people coming in their ropes and the whole lot? That's so. All right, let's do a recap here. So you have two brothers that are in Riptide. I have one brother in the Riptide movement, and I have another brother in another band. So he's okay. Drunk. Okay. Okay. So you have a musical family. Yes. Yes. Okay. And is the nephew that was born is he the first? grandchild of your dad he is the third grandchild but the first boy 
Okay. So I have two nieces already. Yes. Okay. Um, I'd like to let you know I share your love of history. And I am, whenever I go anywhere, the one that goes on the tour, reads the book, wants to know the history. And I was born that way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in um, school, in history, it was very different. We had to do date by date by date. So it's very different to what's been taught in college. So I gave up history at an early age because I lost interest in it. And it's only when I went to college, it's a taught a different way. And um, I, I love it now. I absolutely adore yeah. it. It's brilliant. It was just, my teacher was fantastic. He's a historian and he just brought everything to life. So I have a new, new love of history. Yeah. I was born with a love of history for sure. Um, so your mother, passed away 13 years ago and yeah. her legacy for her children was music. Yes. So she lives through you all through your music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She, yeah. Uh, yeah, she does. That's my take on it. That's how her spirit keeps, keeps, yeah. with, keeps with you. Definitely. Um, so where were you born? Dublin. In Dublin, okay. Yes. So you give tours in Dublin. I do. So you know your town history. <laughs> I'm guessing there, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me a story about an historic place that it doesn't have to be in Dublin, but what I is a story that really has you have passion about? Um, Trim Castle is where spell Trim like Castle. How do you spell that? T-R-I-M. Okay. So it's the biggest, biggest Anglo-Norman castle in Ireland that's still standing. It's in County Meath and I worked there as a guide for six weeks training as part of my course and I had to shadow. I wasn't given a script. I was basically had to shadow one of the guides and then make up my own script as I went along. Um, so this place is got many, many rooms. I was completely lost on the inside. I was left to my own accord to go in. It's really old. You have this spiral staircase and everything. And I remember the first day when then I completely lost. I couldn't find my way out. It was an hour later. By the time I figured out exactly where I was, there's three different levels. And um, two days after that, I had my first tour and it's like, oh God. But um, I remember it's uh, from, from Hugh de Lacey. So Hugh de Lacey is from England. So it's dating way, way back to the 17th century. And um, it's just the experience I had with people. So when a lot of people come to Trim, Trim is one of the counties that a lot of tourists will come to because, um, oh, what's the name of the film? Um, uh, sorry, the film is gone. The, and the is Mel gone? Gibson made it. Did yes. Mel Gibson? Yes. Okay. The Mel Gibson movie. Um, okay. I'm gonna, you, you keep talking about it and I will find that. Oh my God. Uh, Braveheart. Yes. There it is. So Braveheart was, was filmed in Trim Castle in 1994. 
So they had built the whole area around the actual castle itself. And there's still one or two bits from the film that are left. Um, and it's quite interesting to see people's reactions when you come in because you have the spiral staircases. And of course, way back then, if you were left-handed, I'm a kithog. So kithog, I'm a left-handed left -handed person. So um, back in the day, if you were a left-handed person, you had a specific job to do. You were not allowed to become a soldier because of the way of the spiral staircase. If you have the sword in your hand, it's, it's actually um, blocking you going up the stairs. So you can't actually attack somebody coming down. So um, you were to look after the, the cleaning of the robes of the, um, the guys in the castle. Um, so there was a um, trough at the end and um, they didn't wash their clothes. So over time, you know, nits get in, it gets smelly and the whole lot. So they had this guard rail. So the guard rail was down in the basement, but uh, the toilets back then were just a seat and you did mm -hmm. your thing. So all the, the contents went into a troll uh, big thing. So it was up to this left-handed person to stir the shit per se. <laughs> uh, so as you're doing this, the ammonia come rises up, so kills everything in the clothes. So that's how they wash the clothes. And because if you were left-handed, that was your specific job at that particular time. Because you couldn't be a soldier. Yeah. So therefore it was a man's job. It was man's job. But if you were left-handed as well, you were accused of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. I went to secondary school and I had nuns. So my left hand was tied behind my back when I was six. I had to learn to write with my right hand. Now, can you write with both hands? Are you ambidextrous? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work. You just had really bad Please, handwriting. Without me <laughs> it's probably not like that today, but... Um, it, it was still a belief that witches were left-handed. And yeah, so yeah. that said, um, one thing that you think about, so we had discussed earlier white witches. Tell me again, what, what is a white witch? So a white witch is a, is a good witch. And they are um, healers. They, um, from, they're not religious. They sort of come from the, the pagan type of era um they are um yeah they're healers and they do a lot of good work um i don't really know much about them but as far as i know they're still in the, the pagan religion type of thing so they don't specifically have a god they um they support so um, in ireland we, we can use the word pagan or or folk religion um, it was just all of the various beliefs that were uh, from Ireland before Christianity. Yes. Right? So they were they were they were just the the what the people believed in before Christianity came in and said this is what we're going to collectively do so we can join the country. Yeah. No. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And so then this the this these people that are white witches, are they born that way or do they train themselves to be that way? Well, 
uh, my friend uh, would have to train herself to be that way, but she always had um, something. So she's quite, um, she can read the auras and stuff. She's quite, uh, what's the word? Uh, mystical okay. and stuff. Yes. In the United States, we call something like that a psychic. And, and, and in the ghost world, there are some people that can see things and can perceive things and they know, you know, things that the average person doesn't. And what I know to be true is generally speaking, people who have that heightened ability, it's hereditary. I, um, I think that that's just a different word um, for, for what, I, what, we, what I just said. But so okay. if, there, if there then is a white witch, would there then be a black witch? I presume there would be. I haven't heard many black witches, but they probably dabble in the, the demon world or um, witchcraft and stuff like that. It's all sort of negative. Right. That's where so, I would think would come from, but I don't really know any yeah. specific. So um, in the US, we have something called Wiccan, and those are all, uh, it's a community of, of witches and as healers and you know spiritual environment they're they're positive yeah so we would be known as druids here oh what is a druid it'd be something similar um so her friend is a healer as well dan and kerry so she does potions but she does a lot of healing sound healing sound baths with different types of um instruments to be all sort of, um, I've done one or two, so you feel like you're suspended in the air, even though you're sleeping on the ground. And um, you feel like, I don't know, all the negative energy has been taken out of your body. And um, I've done one or two of those. It's all different types of bowls, different types of sound. They use music, they use oils, uh, oil therapies. Um, from what I've seen so far. So have you ever heard? Have you, yeah, it's cool. Have you ever heard of Reiki? Yes. So to me, if to translate that into my country, my world, that sounds to me like exactly what Reiki people do. Okay, so from what I gather, Reiki, don't touch your body, the hands sort of gravitate over your body yeah so and they, they pull out the, they pull out what, yeah yeah and they pull out like the negative or whatever is sick and they use sound yeah um, so that would be alternative healing alternative medicine here a lot of people are actually doing that learning how to do that and and doing its business and another cupping as well where they, they have a cup and they would uh put it on your back and then they would cup out the, the negative energy as well um, I've met, I've met, I'm with one or two business networks and I've met a couple of people who are, do all that type, angel healing, angel cards. Um, yeah, all that type of. Yeah. So what I love is that we are so far away and yet we still believe in these same techniques yeah. having relevance in the world. That said, have you ever experienced your in yourself, your 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 tour guide, your history person, you're obviously um, right brain creative. Have you ever experienced something that you felt was unexplainable? Yes. Um, so I worked my previous life 
I was a secretary and I worked for a building firm. And I worked in an old Presbyterian church, which was part of a whole building. So there's four buildings in one and there was a door between each building. And um, at nighttime, I would hear these noises down in the basement because a lot of the times I would have been on my own as my boss would have had various secretaries around the city as in site secretaries. I was the main office secretary. And one morning I walked in. So you walk into a glass door uh, before you come to the lifts. And I saw a figure of a lady with a black bonnet and a long black dress in the mirror. And of course I dropped everything, it was gone. And I had mentioned it to one of the guys and they laughed at me. But later on that afternoon, I went to lunch. And as I was crossing the road, the bus broke the lights. And I felt like somebody had caught me and pulled me back. And if they hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be here today. Does that make sense? Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. So I don't know if it was my mother or it was the actual lady I had seen through the, the, the office glass door earlier on that morning. So this is what I also really like about um, talking to people around the world, because that is a common, like when I was like, you have, okay. So you'll have a experience that like seeing that lady and then something will happen in your life. It's yeah. like, that is a, you're not the only one. Yeah. That's a common thing. Like, and then somebody will have something really like that shakes you up. Like they yeah. go, whoa, you know, I, what, what was that? And then not long after a life threatening situation and you'll be okay. So, and then the, one of the, the security guards told me that that building that I work in is a Presbyterian church and there is a crypt under the graveyard. But downstairs, they were saying that one day, one of the ladies was locked into the bathroom doors. Now these doors are really thick and you literally have to run and slam them. So it closed gently and the key was taken away. So she was locked in that room for three hours. She couldn't get out. So they reckon, I didn't know what happened, but they've heard, um, do you know the, if you get cutlery that goes through the spokes of the stairs, that noise up and down the stairs every single evening, uh, glasses going missing and stuff like that. So um, as I, when I researched a bit of it, so there was um, a lot of people died badly there when they were buried underneath the actual office itself. So, so how did the people, so it was a, a church and it's not and it's common for people to be buried in it under and around churches yeah but, um, and so the the belief is that some people die badly how or why yeah and i i, I, I believe that if you are good that you, your spirit will go up to heaven and if you didn't your spirit would be caught somewhere in purgatory right. um so maybe there there's something happened to them and they were the spirit was caught down below in the basement or something like that because mm -hmm. down in the basement are just uh, the toilets and the kitchen and a storeroom right. because it was just a, a small building there was three offices and we were one above each other but they still had the old um pews and the old um 
windows still intact. So, um, but now it's the, the building, the, we had the crash in 2007 and then uh, that particular company closed down. So I don't know exactly what it is today, but it's still there. I see it every single time I come into the city and it's like, oh my gosh. I know it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so I wonder going back to the story where you happen to see this apparition and then you happen to have a life threatening situation. I wonder, you know, what does an, an guardian angel or an angel look like, you know? Well, they one say wonders. So I, you know, there's the winged creatures we speak of, but I wonder if that wasn't your guardian angel. I don't know. I have also had a robin follow me and sing. If that makes any sense. A, a robin? A robin singing, following me from tree to tree <laughs> as I'm walking. So as we mentioned before, I have to say, one, birds are messengers. Yeah. They yeah. are always messengers. And um, uh, white feathers as well. Do you find them? or? or yes, or... I, find, I find them quite a lot. So actually... They, um, they say that somebody is around when you see a white feather. So, uh, But I, I believe that they're still around anyway. I don't believe they've they're rotting down below the ground. They're still, I can still smell my mum's perfume every now and then, which is very bizarre. So guess what? The second most common form of a haunting is smell. So yeah. is, is an aroma and you know when it happens, it begins and it ends, and you, there's an association with it. So that is your actual mother, <laughs> because that's, oh, a, that's a haunting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So... That's cool. Did you, so I guess everyone was really sad when she passed away. Um, so she's still hanging around. She's still, if you're smelling her perfume, then. Yeah, I'd say she's still around to make sure that we're, we're all okay and we're not doing anything bad or anything. Yeah. But she was quite a gregarious lady, very um, open-minded and, and full of fun and stuff. So yeah. A lot of people have said that they, they see her coming out through me. So I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. Well, what does that mean when they say they see her coming through you? Because I'm, I'm quite person normally, but um, I, I, since I started the tour guiding, I've become a lot more outgoing and personable and um, have more fun with people. And my mum was like that, so. Yeah, yeah. And, so yeah no she was good and because um she was quite well known in in dublin funnily enough so i still have some of her contacts that she used to have i was still in contact with them and i i send the christmas list every year that's great and um you have three brothers are you yeah. where, where are you i'm the eldest ah bummer okay it would be that i was like oh let her be the youngest because you're you kind of had to wrangle yeah um, okay, so we are going to wrap, wrap up soon. Um, is there anything, so you're in, where are you right now? You're, what part of Ireland? I am in Navan in County Meath. I'm, on the, um, I'm about an hour from Dublin mm -hmm. and about half an hour from where I live in Lucan, where, where my family home is. So my family home is on the border between Meath and Kildare, the next two counties. Um, so I'm about an hour from the city. 
So, but because there are no, I've no way of getting into the city because there's no buses, there's no, everything's been stopped. And I can't go in there anyway because I can't even get out of Navin at the moment. So. Right. So in Ireland, they're locking down the counties. They don't let you move from county to county? No. So we have the guards out since yesterday. Um, so every, most of the roads, you're, you're going to be stopped. You're going to be asked, why are you out? Where are you going? And if they think that it's not, so they want to stop people going to the beaches. They want to stop people congregating together as groups. Um, so they've started, yeah, yesterday. And it's going to go right through the bank holiday weekend till next Tuesday. Um, so they want to stop people going away. They want, so a lot of people would have family homes or holiday homes down in Wexford and Wicklow. So they don't want, the locals don't want people from outside coming in and infecting the whole area type of thing. So, so you have a holiday uh, coming up? We have a bank holiday this weekend. So the, so the, the security, the police or whatever, police, yeah. police are, are out because it's a holiday. They wouldn't be there if it wasn't a holiday. No, no, they've been out the last couple of weeks, but they're doubling up their security or their men, manpower to to try and stop people from moving that was uh, to other places. So if you got in the car that worked and you drove down the street, they would stop you and ask you where you're going? No, if I drove outside the two-kilometer zone. Okay, the two-kilometer yeah. zone. So you have a two-kilometer zone that you can. And can you go to the grocery store anytime you want? Or like in Italy, yeah, you can only go once a week. Yeah, the grocery store is only a 10-minute walk from here. So it's within the two-kilometer zone. So it's handy. So, and you can go every day if you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I go with my mask. I have my gloves. I have my spray. So I spray everything. I spray them. The, the door handles. Um, I don't bring any money with me. I use my card. So I spray my card and I come home and um, I do a spray. So it's a dental spray that I have, uh, antiseptic spray. So everything is sprayed. And is there any issue with getting groceries to the grocery store? Are they no. fully supplied? No issues? They, yeah, so fully. When it first started, they were running out of toilet paper, which is quite... <laughs> well, some things are universal. <laughs> But no, the, the, the shop workers have been working all through this. So the, the shelves are fully stocked. That's great. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So just a little glimpse into what it's like. Um, Ireland was not hit as hard as Spain and Italy um, and Germany, but, but nonetheless, you know. I think we locked down a lot quicker. Or um, everything was in place. We because um, the UK, we're still the strangest thing is. So Northern Ireland is part of Ireland, but it's run by the UK government. So there's two different governments in Ireland. So um, it was quite strange when we were in lockdown. Northern Ireland wasn't in lockdown. Mm. So, um, and it's only in. So they're about two weeks behind us. So, um, but I don't think we're, we're out of the woods yet. Yeah. Um, and they're getting their, if you go to the World Health Organization and I look every day, they're climbing up. Yeah. Yeah. So. Whether we are not as bad, I think we're down to, there was 25 deaths yesterday and last week there was over 50, mm -hmm. but we're still, there's a still a couple of hundred people being positive 
so they're, they're, we're not out of the woods yet. Yeah, but, no, no, but it just seems that, that some of the other European countries were hit a little bit harder, but I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you went into lockdown two weeks yes, ahead straight of away, yeah. yeah. So as we end this um, podcast, thank you for sharing a little bit of what it's like in your world right now. Um, is there a story that you would like to end with? Uh, a personal story about me? Any or? story about anything. You're a tour guide. You're a storyteller. <laughs> You're a tour guide. You're a storyteller. Okay, I will tell you about... So you do you know that the Messiah was performed here in Dublin and not in England? No, I know nothing about that. There you go. So uh, Christ Church is here in Dublin. It's a Church of Ireland church. And um, in 1742, George Frederick Handel came to Dublin. He was never supposed to come to Dublin. So the Messiah was supposed to be performed in London and that was that. So he was invited over by a friend of his. We reckon it was Jonathan Swift, we're not sure, um, to Dublin to do a series of concerts um, for, to raise money for the poor in that particular time. So we had workhouses, so to raise money for those we had a musical called the new musical um which was not too far from Christchurch, and he came over the november before so um he was from germany and his father was quite strict he loved music from an early age so at the age of eight he snuck a harpsichord so that's a little baby grand piano at the age of eight into his attic. Can you imagine an eight-year-old trying to hold, hold it? <laughs> and, so and, he, and successfully. Exactly. So when his parents were away, he taught himself how to play the piano. His father was a lawyer and his grandfather was a well-known doctor and they didn't want him to do music. So they wanted him to become a lawyer. Um, so at the age of 10, he went to visit his half-brother, George, who was working in a local palace. And George obviously ran away, found a keyboard, started to play. And then the, the Duke, who was in charge, heard this wonderful music, said, where is this coming from? And realized it was George. At the age of 10, he was the first musician to play for the royal community in Germany back in the 1700s, which is amazing. So he traveled quite around to Italy, to England, but he never really wanted to come to Ireland. And when he came to Ireland, he did these six concerts and they were so well revered. People were going, what's going on? Who is this chap? And he decided to, to do the Messiah here. Now, the Messiah is 53 songs. So he wrote the Messiah in three weeks. If you put that in today's terms, that's seven and a half CD albums he wrote in three weeks. So he was a genius in his own right. Um, he, um, so it's divided into three different sections and um, each section was taken by a different part of the choir. So he started to bring people in from the choir from the Christchurch Cathedral, the choir from um, St. Patrick's Cathedral, all the local musicians uh, into this tiny little musical and the, the rehearsals were open. So the locals were intrigued they went in to see what's going on here. And they thought like, this is amazing. Like they've never seen anything like this before. And the locals realized because back then the women had the big hooped skirts and the men had the swords. They realized they were not going to get a lot of people into the hall. So they politely asked the women to leave the underskirts at home. 
that they could actually squeeze 700 people into this tiny little hall. And um, in 1742 on midday, this was performed. So three and a half hours. Um, this year is the first year it hasn't been performed. It's 288 years. They perform it every single year on the 13th of April. They shut the whole place down. It's three and a half hours. And um, this year was the first year it has never been, hasn't, they couldn't do it obviously because of the lockdown. And you can hear the whole um, aria over the whole part of the city. It's just an amazing thing. But uh, it's just quite funny. He was quite uh, a character. And he, a lot of people think the Messiah is one of the best, best things that actually came to Dublin and put, um, I suppose, that type of music. A lot of people don't follow that type of music, but there is, um, it is coming back to life, which is really, really nice. And um, I love, I love this whole story. It is actually quite funny. The music hall now is no more. It's a block of an apartments and the actual door that used to be there is gone. Someone's after taking the door. It's probably in someone's back garden somewhere. Um, so that was George Frederick Handel in Dublin. That's a good story. <laughs> um, interesting. I love that he was discouraged from doing what he uh, obviously was born to do. And yet... But well, he did it anyway. But he did it anyway. <laughs> I like that. So I like that about him. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Fiona Dalton, for joining my podcast, which is Haunted Texas and Beyond. And I will thank say you for having me. Thing. Um, we'll have you back again. Mm -hmm. And um, we look forward to seeing you on our actual virtual tour. Yes, looking forward to it. As I record this podcast, I am in the same quarantined state as most people around the world. I decided to do this project of reaching out to tour guides around the world because I had been watching the World Health Organization daily situation reports starting in March. And I watched in particular Italy getting overtaken by the coronavirus. I could see the data of all the European countries and of course the USA. I decided there was something I could do I decided to find local guides around the world and create a platform for them to tell their stories. So in addition to being a part of the podcast, they all gave one hour virtual tours of the locations where they are tour guides. And you can watch them by going to austinghosttours.com, the website, and clicking on virtual tours and on our YouTube page. What I discovered were storytellers who could not tell their stories and worse did not see a time when they would ever be able to again. All agreed it would be a long time before borders between the countries would open. So I invited them to virtually tell their stories for the Austin Ghost Tour and Haunted Texas and Beyond community on a regular basis. And yes, it was a breath of fresh air in their lives, and that was my goal. What I didn't expect was that we would become a team, a world team of local guides telling stories, not for profit, but telling stories because everyone needs 
a good story now more than ever. Thank you for listening to Haunted Texas and Beyond, sponsored by RenegadeRadio.net and Austin Ghost Tours. See you next time.